Well, it's time now for us to, uh, to look into God's Word. If you have your bulletins, uh, the Scripture is printed in your bulletin. You'll find it here on page 6. You can turn there. On page 7 is a place where you can take notes. We've got three different verses that we're going to be looking at as we look at stewardship today. We've got a passage from Genesis, a passage from 1 Corinthians, and a passage from Proverbs. And so give ear now. This is God's word. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. This is God's word. So today we are going to be starting a series on stewardship. The Bible, from beginning to end, says that all people are stewards. We're all stewards. God made us in His image. Okay, he made us with a purpose that we would image Him, that we would be images of Him reflecting who He is in the world. And then He called us to have dominion over the earth. Be fruitful, multiply, take dominion, subdue the earth and fill it. He wants us to make the world the way that he would want it. And so he appointed us to be stewards. A steward, by definition, doesn't own. Okay, a steward manages. He manages, he or she manages for the owner. And so being a steward means initially two things. It means first, you've got incredible freedom to manage what you have. God is a God who delegates significant responsibility to us. And so we have a lot of freedom as stewards, incredible freedom to manage what God has given us. But secondly, you have a responsibility to live as a steward, not as an owner. Okay? There's a big difference there. Stewards need to know that God owns everything and that we will give an account for how we handle our stewardship. Now, that may sound a little bit restrictive. It might sound threatening. In some ways, uh, there is a warning there. But actually, understanding these things about being a steward sets us free. It sets us free. Because whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, we are all tempted to live as owners and not stewards. Okay, when we try to live as owners of things instead of stewards, we end up ignoring God in our lives. We ignore God, and then we become controlled by the things that we think we own. And so all of us, Christians and non-Christians, we all need the Bible's perspective and the good news of Jesus that teaches us what it means for us to be stewards. It will set us free. And I think, I I didn't make this up, but a life of stewardship can be summed up in three basic categories of our lives. Our time, our talent, and our treasure. You know, that's where those three verses come from. One speaks to time, one speaks to talent, and one speaks to our treasure. Now, we're going to be talking about money over the next three weeks, but this sermon is going to help us set our relationship to money in the larger context of what it means to be a steward in our whole lives. Money, our treasure, is just one aspect of a whole life of stewardship. 
Okay, and so today we're going to see three things that God calls a steward to do. These are the points in your outline if you want to take notes. We're going to see first that you need to use time to build your relationship with God. Second, use your talent to build your dependence on God. And then third, use your treasure to build your focus on God. Okay, so use time to build your relationship with God. Use your talent to build your dependence on God. And then third, use your treasure to build your focus on God. So first, use your time to build your relationship with God. This is Genesis 2. It says, So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So this is in the Bible. Okay, and I just I want you to see that this is in Scripture. That God at the beginning took and and set aside one day in seven for a special purpose. Okay, He blessed the seventh day and He made it holy. Okay, He blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on that day He rested from His work. And this quickly, very quickly, became a pattern for all of humanity. Exodus 20 has the list of the Ten Commandments, and in the Fourth Commandment it says this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, because in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So what we see here is that God wants his stewards in relationship with him. Okay, he wants a relationship with his stewards. Every master, every owner would want a relationship with his stewards. And God has ordered our time to make that happen. Okay, God has ordered our time so that we would build a relationship with him. So one day in seven. Now for us, this is Sunday. It's in in celebration and remembrance of the resurrection of Jesus. And so on Sundays, we worship God and we rest and refresh our bodies from our work. So it's interesting because in this area of time, it's as though God gives us more time than we actually need. And then he asks us to give him a portion back and spend it specially with him. Get that? God could have just given us six days and kept the seventh for himself, but instead he gives us all seven days and asks us to use that one day. He asks us to use Sundays to build our relationship with him. So what does this mean? Does this mean that on one day we do what he wants and on the other days we do what we want? Well, yes and no. Yes and no. Yes, in that, again, God has devoted one day in seven to be a special day for us to worship him, to be a special day for us to come together in ways that we don't during the other six days of the week. He calls us to rest from our labors. But then no, in that all of our lives are supposed to be lived in a way that honors him, that loves him, and that lives out our relationship with him. So in that sense, it's not six days for you and one day for him. But six days of dominion, six days of working to image God in the world, six days to fill the earth and subdue it, to make the world the way God wants it, and then one day of rest and rejuvenation, both physically and spiritually. 
That's how God has ordered time in his world. I heard a story. There was a man who was walking down Fifth Avenue. Fifth Avenue. Um, and he saw a homeless man who was asking for money. And he opened his wallet up and he checked. He actually had $140 in his wallet. He had seven $20 bills. And so feeling generous, he took six of those 20s out and he gave them to the homeless man. And he walked on. Well, the homeless man stood up, followed his benefactor, clubbed him over the back of the head, and stole that seventh $20 bill. Now, when I heard that story, I was shocked, appalled, frustrated, angry. And then I realized that we actually do the same thing to God. We do the same thing to God. He gives us six days for us to do our work. And he asks us, he keeps back one day for himself. He asks us for one day that we can build our relationship with him. And we rob God of that seventh day too. Now we ask the question, why? Why does God want our Sundays? Well, there's a few reasons. A few reasons. God wants his stewards resting. Okay, he wants you to experience rest. Okay, he doesn't want you overworked. He also doesn't want you to feel enslaved to your work. He wants you to realize by taking one day every week and setting aside not doing work, you'll know that way and you'll live as though your work is not everything. Okay, it's a constant reminder where God is saying, work is important. Work is important. It's vitally important, but it's not the end. It should not be your God. So God wants his stewards resting. He wants his stewards worshiping because God wants us to be in a relationship with him. He wants us to be in relationship with him that we'll know that there's more to life than just work. So that, and so when we experience a relationship with God through his word in church, as we sing, as we pray, as we're together, as we rest, as we experience that refreshment, that rejuvenation that comes with worship on Sunday, then we tend to live the other six days also in relationship with him. What we do on Sundays affects our relationship with God through the rest of the week. And so again, God gives us more than we need so that we will take some of that and give it back to him. So our worship, our, our rest, our Sunday worship, and what we do on Sundays, our Christian Sabbath really is an opportunity for us to connect back to, to heaven, to connect back to the eternal to connect back to God. We are free to say no to things on Sundays that we might normally feel obligated to do. And so we see, as we try to put this into practice, stewards spend time with their master, right? Making sure that they're connected, making sure that they understand his will or her will, make sure they understand what the owner wants and desires, getting feedback and direction from the owner. And so, again, we spend time on Sundays with God and his family. We rest from our work. We experience the joy of the gospel. It's a foretaste for us. 
It's a foretaste of heaven. I mean, that's what Sundays are supposed to be. And so, you, all of you, you have six days to get your stuff done. Okay? You have six days to do your things, to do whatever you want, and then you have one day to pray and play. One day to pray and play. And what the gospel calls us to, it calls us to move toward that. Okay, if you're not, at this point, if you've got a pattern in your life that doesn't enable you to take one day, to take your Sundays off, you want to work toward that. You want to move in that direction. Okay, God is a God of grace, and he recognizes that sometimes we get ourselves into binds and we find ourselves in places that we don't want to be, and it may take time for us to get out. So you want to think through, if you feel like there's just no way on earth you could possibly take a day off. Maybe, there, maybe you need to be doing less. Maybe there are things that you need to cut out um, of your life. Again, you want to move toward that so that your Sundays can be free. So that your Sundays can be free. And then the other way to apply this is, you know, Monday through Saturday, give a portion. Just as you give a whole portion of your week to the Lord, try to give a portion of each day to the Lord. Spend time building a relationship with him. I know for me, I feel like I just, I mean, over the last 18 months, I've started to do this. I mean, for a long time for me, it was easy because I would read the Bible in preparation for my lessons. And I was never really studying scripture on my own, just for my own personal time with the Lord. And that Bible reading in a year plan that we started, um, we started in 2009, the beginning of 2009, I'm still doing that. I've got like 12 chapters of the Bible left. So it's taken me about 18 months. But it's been so great just to have a, I mean, sometimes it's five minutes of reading scripture and then offering a prayer. Sometimes it's 20, sometimes it's 30, depending on how early I can get up, you know, but I've been able to, to build that time with the Lord. And it's just amazing the, the, the experience of being in relationship with God at the beginning of your day or just, or every day where you know that you are doing what you need to do to cultivate a relationship with him. That's what, that, that is part of your role as being a steward, that your time, you use your time to build a relationship with God. Now, second, you want to use your talent to build your dependence on God. Okay, this is 1 Corinthians 3, the 1 Corinthians 3 passage. Um, before we read that again, you know, God gives all of us talents. Okay, all of us are born with things that we do well. Okay, some of those things are outward and easy for everybody to see. Some, some of those things are sort of behind the scenes or, or organizationally and, and are harder to see. But we all have talents. In addition to that, Christians have what we call spiritual gifts. They are gifts of the Spirit that, that form the purpose of helping the church to grow. This passage in 1 Corinthians, though, it puts our talents in perspective. Okay, there Paul says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants to whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. What Paul's doing here is he's putting our talents in perspective. Okay? We work. We use our gifts. We use our talents. We try to make a difference. But it's God who causes the growth. 
okay? God is the one who actually makes things better, okay? Now, this doesn't mean our efforts don't matter, right? It doesn't, you know, to grow a plant, even for God to grow a plant, you know, he uses someone who plants the seed. He uses the person who waters. But the passage is just saying that God is the one who causes the growth. And it's interesting because, you know, Paul was used mightily by God, right? Apollos was used mightily by God in this church even, where Paul's saying these things. God could have made a world where he did everything, but he didn't, okay? God has chosen to use our participation as part of his bringing about growth. God wanted to include us. Okay, and so as we think about ourselves as stewards, we want to make full use of our talents, full use of our gifts, full use of our strengths. But stewards recognize why their talents are effective. That's what this passage is teaching us. It's teaching us why our talents are effective. It's God. It's God who uses your gifts, your talents, the way you care for people, the way you organize, the way you creatively think, the way you comfort, the way in, in whatever way that you are talented, in whatever way that you image God in a special way. You do those things and God uses those things, but it's God who causes the growth. God is the one who makes you have an impact. Now, what does this do? Well, this keeps us humble keeps us humble because what we're seeing here is that no matter how hard you work if god is not blessing your efforts nothing would get done okay if god wasn't there every seed that you plant nothing would come out right every time you try to care about somebody else if god wasn't there using it causing growth then your efforts would have no impact and so this keeps us humble because we recognize that we can't actually change someone else. At the same time, it makes us dependent on him. Right? It keeps us connected to him. Because we need him. Even after all of our best efforts, we need God to be in the midst. We need to be saying, Lord, will you use this, my efforts here? Will you use my gifts, my talents? Will you help me not just to open doors of opportunity so that I can use and help other people, so that I can bless other folks in the church, so that I can serve people in my community, but will you then cause growth? We are dependent on him. We're dependent on him. And this is huge because it also keeps the responsibility for the results off of our shoulders. You know, our call is to plant and to water. Our call is to use our gifts, but to trust that God is going to do the work. God is going to cause the growth. And what this does is this frees us. Really, it sets us free from self-centeredness. You know, that would be us looking at ourselves and, or using our gifts and talents for ourselves only. This sets us free from pride. Because again, we recognize that if it wasn't for God, none of this would happen. And it keeps us from seeking our own glory because the only one who deserves the glory is God because he's the one who causes the growth. You see, I mean, this is what this passage is teaching us. God gave the growth. The one who is anything is God who gives the growth. 
And so, again, this is another plug for our Strengths Finders class coming up Tuesday, May 18th. If you don't know what your strengths are, your talents are, your gifts are, this is a class designed for you to learn what those things are, how you're wired, what you do well. And then the class is designed to take that, those ideas and teach you how to put those things into practice in your job, in your relationships, in the church, so that you can operate out of your strengths in a way that makes you, I mean, we all love it when we're doing what feels natural. And that class is designed for that. So plug that thing, plug that class. So in terms of this, in terms of applying this, we need to recognize that God gives us talents to make an impact. Like he wants us to do our work. He wants us to use the gifts that we have, but then we need to honor him. We need to honor him as we use our gifts and after we use our gifts by giving him the credit for the growth and seeking him to cause growth. So question for you all, what are you doing with God's talents in your life? The talents, the gifts he's given you, how are you using those gifts? I mean, that's part of your calling as a steward. So that's our second point, that our talent is to build, we use our talents to build our dependence on God. Our third and final point is that we use our treasure, you use your treasure to build your focus on God. Okay, use your treasure to build your focus on God. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. So it's interesting here because the principle is the same. This is how God works in the world. This is the same. It's just like with our time. God gives us more than we need and then asks for a portion back. And with money, it's not because 10% is his and 90% is ours, but it's because God wants our money to be an avenue for a relationship with him. Okay, God wants our money to be something that actually draws our focus more and more on to him. That's part of it. So 10% is representative, okay? The idea, where does tithing come from? Why 10%? Well, in the ancient world, this is true today, that giving 10%, it meant that everything belonged to God, okay? 10% was representative, and it just meant that, look, I'm acknowledging that everything that I have comes from God. And so the 10% is a representative sampling of basically saying, look, it all belongs to him. And so God wants us, what we see in this Proverbs passage, he wants our focus to be him. He wants us to put him first, especially in the area of our money. You know, the first fruits, these were the first bits of the harvest. The first things that were harvested it says you honor the Lord with the first fruits of your increase. And so this means that it's, it's the first check, right, that you write. It's, uh, he is the priority when it comes to how you use your money. God is to be the priority. There is nothing that's more important than God. Nothing more important. And so our focus is drawn to him. And so again, this is interesting. God gives us 100%. And then he asks us to give 10% back to the church and then use the rest of the 90% to honor him. Okay, so again, it's not 
10% for him, 90% for you to do whatever you want. It's when you give the 10% to him, you're saying, Lord, it all belongs to you. And so I want to use even what I have left to honor you. Now, why does God give us money? Well, Scripture teaches that God gives us money for us to enjoy life. Okay? Maybe you haven't heard anybody talk about that in church before. But part of the purpose of money is for us to be able to experience the joy and the blessings of life. Okay? If you read the book of Pro- I mean, look, verse 10, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. We're going to look a lot more at... Um, at, at abundance and, and, and plenty you know, in the next couple of weeks. Um, but partly, part of the purpose that God has in terms of giving us money, allowing us the strength that we need to earn money, is that we would enjoy life. So God wants us to be able to enjoy life. He also gives us money so that we can care for others. Okay, I think about an umbrella. You know, the umbrella kind of being the thing that we... the the umbrella of our financial position, the money that we have that comes in. You know, and for some of us, we feel like that umbrella is too small, right? Like the rain comes and we're getting pretty wet because that umbrella doesn't really cover over everything. Um, For for others of us, the umbrella feels just about right. And if something bad happens, then it's really going to be too small. Um, And then for others of us, God has blessed us in a way where our umbrella is actually larger than we need. You know, and if you find yourself in that place under an umbrella that's a lot larger, and it's kind of funny, we have some umbrellas, they're like those giant golfing umbrellas, you know, where I walk around, I could put both, I could bring two kids underneath it with me and, you know, keep all of us dry. And then we have these small, tiny fold-up umbrellas that start out like this, and you gotta, you know, you pick them up and the the stick comes down, and and they're a lot smaller. Um, If you have an umbrella that's larger, you gotta ask yourself, how can I be a steward of this larger umbrella, okay? Sometimes, well, the temptation, I think, for all of us, and this is, you know, we get bombarded through the media, is that if we've got room under our umbrella, man, bring some stuff underneath your umbrella, right? Get a new this or a new that or grab this, grab a hold of that, because you got room. You can keep it all dry under this giant umbrella that you have, right? And again, there is a measure where that is appropriate, Again, because part of the reason God gives us money is for us to be able to enjoy life. And if you work hard, the proverb says you're going to end up with more. Generally speaking, you'll end up with more and you deserve the right to be able to enjoy the fruits of your labor. But then sometimes, as we're standing under this umbrella that's big enough for us plus something else, maybe we want to bring someone else under the umbrella with us in some way. Maybe we can include other people in some way under the umbrella that God has given us. Again, these are the questions that we need to ask ourselves as stewards. And so God gives us money to enjoy life, to care for others, and then also to support the work of the church. We're going to look more in detail at that in the next couple of weeks. Now, what's the purpose? Like, why, again, does God deal with this, with this tithing? Well, it's, it's just like the other two areas. It's like our time and our talents. Just like with our time, God gives us more than we need and asks for a portion back so that that giving back becomes an opportunity for us to reconnect with him. Okay? Because 
If he just gave us 90%, then we could theoretically never, ever acknowledge him in the use of our money. But the act of giving 10%, the act of giving back to the Lord is us saying, Lord, we recognize, wait a second, it's like a reminder for us. You know, oh, yeah, 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 that's right, I forgot. You know, (laughs) Lord, I'm giving you this because it's all yours. And because, God, you've given this to me, you're the source. You're the one. I mean, and and it's it's all for you, and it's... you get what I'm saying, you know? And so the act of giving, just like with our time, connects us back to God. It reminds us that we have a relationship with him. It reminds us that we're stewards. It reminds us that we're stewards. So that, that's how it's like our time. But then just like our talents, God gives us money and then says he'll bless its effectiveness to meet our needs. Okay? And so when we give, it shows us it shows god it shows the rest of the world that there's so much more to this life right that that life is not just about money that life is not just about stuff that money can buy that life there's a future that's coming there's an eternity that awaits and when we give to the lord we are proclaiming that we believe in that eternity and so giving the act of giving it sets us free from greed from materialism from selfishness. It shows that we are trusting in a God who is working in the world. We're trusting in a God who's working in our lives. And to not do this, to not tithe, I mean, this is kind of startling. It's to rob God. Here's Malachi 3, verses 8 to 10. Will a man rob God? And yet you're robbing me. But then you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So again, it's what Proverbs says. If we honor the Lord with the first fruits of our increase, if we honor God with our possessions, God says, test him and see what he'll do in response. It's a pretty powerful promise. And so in terms of applying this principle, you've got 90% of your income that you are to build your life around, right? If 10% goes to the Lord, you've got 90%. And so you want to move toward that, okay? And I recognize that. I've done some, I've read the statistics that talk about the number of people who tithe in churches it's super tiny. I think like 2% of people tithe, actually give 10% to the church. Um, I don't know what the numbers are. I don't choose to know what the percentages are. Like that stuff, I just, I, I don't, I'm not, I don't pursue that information. Because, you know, to me, my concern is more you with the Lord. Okay? God is calling you to be a steward. And so this is just one aspect of your stewardship. I spent a lot of time really afraid of ever having to teach on money because I didn't want to sound like one of those TV people, right? The minute anybody stands up as a minister and starts talking about money, there's these crazy associations that get made. And so I avoided it for a long, long time until I realized, you know, this is just one aspect of being in relationship with God. It's one part of our stewardship. And I'm jealous of that for you. For your sake, I want you to know the blessing that comes with being a faithful steward in the area of your treasure. 
I want you to know the freedom and the joy that comes with knowing that, with experiencing that. And so now, if you're not at that place at this point, and I know, I recognize that maybe if you haven't been giving at all or if you're giving uh, you know, a smaller percentage than 10%, I recognize that especially during our economic times, like that might just terrify you. It might freak you out to think, oh my goodness, are you serious? That's going to mean an extra... I don't know, $500 a month, extra $200 a month, extra $1,000 a month. I mean, depending on what your income is, how in the world does that happen? Because you've built a life and a lifestyle around needing more of God's money than he wants you to need, right? That he wants you to, to use. And if you're there, I mean, here's what I would offer. I would say, well, God is gracious and God cares about our heart. And so I would, I would suggest that if you figure out what percentage of money you're giving now, if it's less than 10%, ask yourself, could I work things out so that, well, maybe there's things I can cut out, right? Maybe there are things that I'm spending my money on now that I don't need to spend money on so that I can give the Lord what he's asking for. Um, and after you do that, maybe it's going to take some time. And so maybe what you say is, look, in the next three months, I'm going to try to kick it up 1% from where I am now, right? In six months, I'm going to try to get a little bit, you know, like a stepping stone where you're working toward where you need to be. I mean, I realize debt is enslaving, right? I mean, it's so hard. Materialism is enslaving. Like when we base our lives on the things that we have, it gets really, really difficult to, to be set free from that. Oftentimes, we can't even do that by ourselves. We really do need help. And if you're in that place, we're going to, we offered a financial planning course, I think a couple months ago, and, and there were folks from downtown and uptown who took the class and were radically changed by it. We're going to offer that class again coming up in the next couple of months, and so that could be a resource. But if you need help, get help. Get help. If you can't do it on your own, if you don't see any way through, get help. Get help. Set a plan and move in that direction. So for us to conclude, I just I, I want to ask, like, how are you doing as a steward? You know, quick diagno- diagnose yourself in the area of your time, your talent, and your treasure. I mean, how, how are you doing? Are you being a good steward? Are you honoring the owner of everything that you have? Are you living as a steward? I know it's hard. I know it takes commitment. I mean, for me, the biggest thing that's hit me between the eyes this week is the time area because I feel like I probably spend too much time working, and I need to work on getting my work done in six days, you know, and, and leaving a day open. Um, so if you're failing like I have, there's good news. There's good news. This idea of stewardship is very convicting. But when we fail, when we fail, God comes to save us, Okay? When we fail, we need the gospel over and over and over again. We need forgiveness. If we're enslaved to our things, we need deliverance and freedom, right? And the good news is, the good news is that when we failed to give the portion that God asks, when we failed in that, in our time and our talent and our treasure, God sent his son Jesus. God sent Jesus not just to come and give one day in seven. But God sent Jesus to give every day. 
He sent Jesus to come and die for you. God didn't just ask Jesus to use his strengths and his talents to serve you, but he asked Jesus to empty himself to the point where he was a weak and helpless sacrifice on the cross for you. And God didn't ask Jesus to give him 10% of his income, but God sent Jesus to give everything that he had everything that he had up to and including his life. And Jesus did that. He came knowing full well that to save us, it would mean that he would have to give up everything. He went to the cross sacrificially, faithfully, as a steward of a job that none of us could do for ourselves. just to really show us how much he loves us. I mean, if you doubt the love of God, thinking about stewardship in these areas of your life can make you feel guilty. And if you're feeling guilty, I want you to look to the cross. Because in the cross, you see just how much God loves you. He loves you so much that he is willing to forgive your failures because he took on the penalty for your failures. God sent Jesus to suffer the consequences of our failures to be good stewards. And in response to the cross, God prospered Jesus in the resurrection. The resurrection was God's response. He honored Jesus' love and sacrifice by showing that Jesus is stronger and more powerful than workaholism, than greed and self-centeredness and pride. And that's the freedom that God then offers us. He showers us with his love and then puts his spirit in us so that we would be set free. So that our old self, our old bad steward selves would die and we would be raised to be stewards like Jesus. That's real freedom. That's the strength that we need, motivated by the love that we need for us to grow in all three of these areas. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you again and again and again. We thank you for the way that you, your word so clearly nails us to our chairs sometimes. It so clearly convicts us of where we need to grow. And yet from that, we see where your nails really went. They went into your son. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for the love that you showed that doesn't just cover us in our sin, but sets us free from our sin. Jesus, help each of us to look at these different areas of our lives so that we can honor you and be the faithful stewards you call us to be. We pray this in your name. Amen.